or I'd want the electric or gas bill for this place uh, or the responsibility of keeping it clean. <laughs> but everybody wants a place to call home, a place to belong, and not just a, a place, but that sense of safety and security. I remember when I was a young boy, uh, long before we had uh, television or VCR, actually most of, my, most of my growing up years, we didn't have those things in our home, and we had a, uh, I had a, a record player. Most kids don't know what a record player is these days, but some of you, a lot of you will know what a record player is. Uh, we had a record player, and I had story. We had story records and uh, little dramatized things. And uh, one of the story records that we had was the story of the three little pigs. Do you remember that story? And uh, they each wanted to build themselves a place, a home, a house. And the first little pig built his house of straw, and along came the big bad wolf and said. Little pig, little pig, let me in. And the little pig said, not by, do you know this story? <laughs> not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And the big bad wolf said, then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And that's what he did. So the first youngest little pig went to the home of the second pig who had also built his house and uh, his house was a little bit better. It was a, a house built of sticks, and the story repeats itself, and then they both together moved to the home of the oldest brother who was wise and built his home of bricks. And there they found a place of safety and security because at least one of those three Pig Brothers had had the wisdom to build his house in a way that would last. I want to talk to you this morning about your house on the rock, and uh, we're going to go back up. We've been working our way slowly through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go back up to, to about 30,000 feet and um, finish up with this passage from the end of Matthew chapter 7, the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's bow our hearts for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have 
each one of us the possibility of building the home of our lives on the rock of Christ Jesus and His Word. Pray that you will help us to hear your Word and be more than just hearers, but to be doers of your words. Would you help us in every way that we need it this morning? And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, let's, let's back up and go all the way back to uh, the, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, maybe even a little bit of the end part of Matthew chapter 4, and talk a, just a brief overview of what this is all about, just a summary review. You know, the Sermon on the Mount begins with those statements called the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And many times in past, we have seen these statements as criteria for blessing. If I want to be blessed, this is what I have to do, or this is the kind of person I have to be. And though there might be a little bit of that perspective that is legitimate, I think more clearly what Jesus is saying here is simply this, that anybody can be blessed. God's blessing is available to everyone. Think about the audience that Jesus was speaking to. If we go back to the end of Matthew chapter 4, we see the kind of people that were following Him and listening to Him. It says his fame, this is verse 24, his fame spread throughout Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics and he healed them and great crowds followed him from Galilee. So this was the kind of people that Jesus had following him, that he was talking to, that he was preaching to and they were people who were really poor. They were people who had real problems. They were the, the lowest on the social scale of their day. And when Jesus began speaking and teaching to them, he was speaking to a culture that understood the people who were really blessed were the people who were well off, the people who were healthy, the people who were righteous, the people who had everything going for them. But Jesus begins his uh, teaching by saying, the people that you think are really blessed, maybe they are blessed, but Jesus wants us to know that everybody can be blessed, no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances are. The door to God's kingdom is open to everyone, no matter what their background is, no matter what their circumstances are, whether they're wealthy or poor, educated or illiterate, no matter what they have going for them, everybody is able to step into God's kingdom. We also see that God's kingdom is not governed by external laws, but rather it demonstrates itself through goodness that flows from a heart governed by divine love. This is what Jesus called the righteousness that goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Also, we see from the Sermon on the Mount that God's kingdom is absolutely safe. It is an absolutely safe place to be. And unredeemable or irredeemable harm is not a threat to anyone who is alive in God's kingdom. 
Also, in God's kingdom, we influence others through relationships that are free of condemnation, blame, and manipulation. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 6 when he talks about how we practice our righteousness, our good deeds, our, our praying, and he also teaches us uh, that we are not to be judges of others. And when he says we are not to judge others, he's not saying that we are not allowed to make moral assessments. He's saying that we do not set ourselves up over people and, and condemn them, and we see them only in light of their behavior or their appearance. This is what Jesus is talking about. And then he comes after all of these teachings. He comes down to the close of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about these two builders. Those who have heard his statements, his teachings. And he compares these people to two builders. Both of these builders in his illustration, they're people, they both have heard Jesus message. And they are people who both want the same thing. They both want a home, a place of safety and a place of security. But that's about where the similarities end. He goes on to say that these two of these two builders, one was wise and one was foolish. He gives a a uh, more detailed description in Luke chapter 6, verse 48, uh, of the wise builder. He says there that the wise man built his house, uh, when he built his house, he dug deep and laid the foundation on, on the rock. He dug down deep. He was, in other words, he was diligent in his work, and uh, he went to, to the bedrock layer so that he could have a firm foundation. How many of you have ever tried to dig a hole? On purpose, I know. Like my kids build or like to dig holes, um, but that's because they've never had to do it as a job. I'm saying, have you ever had to do it as a job to dig a hole? And um, I'm telling you, I've been in that position, and it is hard work. It is hard, hard work, especially if you have to go very deep. It's hard work. I remember a place where I, I worked on a job and we were building a, a, like an awning and code dictated that we had to go down, I think, four feet and it was in a, in a gravel parking lot area and there was already a slab there so we had to get a concrete saw and cut out the, the holes for, through the concrete, and then we had to start digging down through the layers, through the gravel, and then into the dirt, and we had to go down about four feet, and I think we had to do three or four holes like that. That was hard, hard work, but the wise man that wants his house to stand will be willing to be diligent and go down deep in order to have a firm foundation. The foolish man seems to be in a hurry. He seems to want the quickest results he can get with the least amount of effort. Isn't that the way most of us are? I'll just be, let me just talk about myself. This is certainly the way I am. I want 
the most results I can get for the least amount of effort. I'm just being honest. I want good things without having to try very hard. But I have learned that life doesn't work like that. You don't get good things without working very hard. But this was the foolish man. He also does not think through to the end result. If he had thought through to the end result, okay, I am... I'm doing this very quickly, I'm not going to be very diligent, I'm not going to work very hard, but I'm going to just do this as quickly, as best I can, just to get something up. If he had thought through to what the end result of that would be, maybe he would have worked a little bit harder in the first place, but he failed to do that. So what did they produce? Well, they produced two houses. They produced two houses. They were in similar locations because they were both subject to the same storm. They were probably similar in appearance, uh, according to Jesus' story. And I, I understand Jesus is, making, is using an illustration here. But we can imagine that they were in a similar location and a similar appearance. And uh, from looking at the outward appearance, we might say, you know, well, what's better about the one than another? You know, that's the thing about the foundation. It's not readily apparent by just looking at the outward appearance. You can't see right away. And like many of us that gather together in church week after week after week, and we... You know, we love and appreciate everyone. And as far as I know, I look at, at, at most of you and look at your lives and, and the people that I do know, and I, I believe that you love the Lord and that you're trying to live for Him and that you're trying to please Him. But I can't see the foundation. You see, what is often true, we, we tend to think of the differences in these cases, these illustrations that the Lord uses, where He talks about the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who, who built his house upon the sand. It, it sounds like anybody would just walk by and see the house of the foolish man and say, what a foolish man. Look at the way he built his house. But no, that's not, that's not really the case. Anybody that walked by would have seen from the exterior something that looked very similar to what the, the wise men had built. We tend to think of differences as pronounced and obvious, but often they are subtle and below the surface. Jesus spoke, again, I believe from Luke chapter 6, uh, of this, of people, and, and he said, Why is it that you say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say. In other words, you don't, you don't follow my teaching. I think of Judas Iscariot being one of the twelve. Now, you know Jesus had a larger crowd of disciples, a larger crowd of followers than just the twelve. But Judas was, was one of the inner circle. He was one of the twelve. And he was one that I imagine anybody from the outside looking in would have said, well, he's, he's one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of Jesus' faithful followers. 
often the differences are subtle and below the surface. So let's look at the difference here in their product. The wise man built his house, had a foundation on the rock. In other words, he had done the necessary work. He had been diligent and laid his foundation well so that the house would stand. Now, I've heard different uh, ideas about Jesus' background and his childhood, and, and some have told me probably Jesus got sent off to the, to the local synagogue school, and I'm sure that's probably the case. But also, I think Jesus was probably getting some training from his earthly father as a carpenter, and I believe that some of the illustrations that Jesus used, he knew what he was talking about, having had experience in the carpenter shop. The foolish man had no foundation, built his house on the sand, and you know what happens when you build your house on the sand. By the way, this is not photoshopped. There are real instances where that has happened. Uh, you can look up stories of sinkholes, and you can find those very sad stories. I remember one story I read of a man who was in his house, another, uh, I believe his brother was in the same house with him and uh, in another part of the house and at one point heard a noise and one of the brothers came in came into where he had heard the noise and a sinkhole had opened up just many many feet deep and swallowed up that portion of the house and the other brother had just vanished down into the ground the sad sad result of having a house built not on a firm foundation Barclay, in his commentary on the New Testament, explains this. In Palestine, the builders had to think ahead. He said there was many a gully, which in summer was a pleasant, sandy hollow, but in winter became a raging torrent of rushing water. A man might be looking for a house and might find a pleasantly sheltered, sandy hollow, and he might think it a very suitable place for building his home. But if he was a short-sighted man, he might well have built his house in the dried-up bed of a river. And when the winter rains came, what he thought was a beautiful place to build a home would become this raging torrent of a river, and his home, his house, would be washed away. So two builders, one wise, one foolish, two products... Two houses, similar in many ways in appearance, but two results. Two results, friends. Both were tested. Both were tested. Let me just tell you, whatever you are trying to build, whatever kind of life you're trying to build, it will be tested. It will be tested. It will be tested by trials in this life. Trials in this life. In fact, I have stated before, and I still contend, I believe with all my heart, that faith that has never been tested is of really very little value. I'm not saying it is, it is not existent. I'm just saying it, it can't grow, and it can't mature, and it cannot become what God intends for it to be until it has been tested and tried. And the testing and the trials are not pleasant 
to endure. They are not pleasant, but friends, they, the Scripture tells us they yield wonderful fruit of righteousness. Faith is tested by trials in this life. We all have problems and troubles of one kind or another. They may be financial woes. Right now, we may think every time we pull up to the gas pump and we feel that pain in our wallet, uh, oh, I'm being tested. But then we think of those who are experiencing war and those who are uh, in other parts of the world experiencing persecution for their faith because of having claimed the name of Jesus Christ. We think of those who are suffering sickness and pain and having to do their best to maintain their faith and their confidence in a good God who is in control and who is working out His purpose for our good and for His glory. This is the faith we're trying to maintain. And to do that, in the direct face of sickness and pain and sometimes loss and overwhelming grief. That's not easy. That's not easy. But friends, we will all face it one time or another in this life. Tested by trials. And then tested by judgment in the next. Scripture says clearly, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. And our, our lives will be shown, will be revealed for what they really, truly are, both in this life and in the next. Jesus talks about this in the parable of the sower when he talks about the one who the, the, uh, the seed took root and sp- sprouted, came up quickly but the, I'm trying to remember the details of the story, the sun withered what grew, and I think that's the right part of the story, the sun withered because, and Jesus said it represented those who's, who kind of emotionally, I read it, they, they were happy to receive the truth, oh, this is wonderful, Jesus stuff, you know. And they're happy to receive it and believe it. But then when the testing and the trials come, their faith reveals, it it, it is revealed that it was very shallow roots, very shallow roots, and was demonstrated that it was not real, not genuine faith at all, or rather perhaps just not lasting faith. So two men, one wise, one foolish. The house of the wise man stood because it was built on the rock. And the the house of the foolish man fell, and great was its fall. Great was its fall. How many of you remember the song, maybe sang in Sunday school? I remember singing it at my grandmother's house. I'm not sure why, but just every once in a while, my grandmother uh, cried her. Some some of you all know. uh, They've been here and sang. My grandma when we would visit and I was a little young little boy there were several songs that I liked and she would sit at her piano and play for me and have me sing with her and and one of the songs was Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he but the other song was the wise man built his house upon the rock and the foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came down and the floods came up and the rains came down and the floods came up 
And the house on the rock stood firm, but the house on the sand fell flat. People, this might sound like works-based or merit-based, but I want to tell you, friends, it is not at all works-based or merit-based, but I believe it is simply Jesus teaching us what is a part of the laws that are built into the fabric of the universe. And that is simply this, that Jesus' way of doing life works. It works. And I'm not trying to tell you it means that in this life you'll have everything that you ever hoped for and, and, you know, health and wealth and happiness. No, what I'm saying is that the big picture of life, when we include eternity in our perspective, that Jesus' way of life works. And I believe this is His essential message, that faith without works is dead. Again, the foolish builder is representative of the one who says, Lord, Lord. You know, we read that phrase several different times in in the New Testament, in Jesus' teachings. He talks about the one who I mentioned earlier, where he said, he asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say. And he's indicating, if you don't follow my teachings, then I'm not really your Lord. He talks about those who will be left on the outside and knocking and, and saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. Did not we do many wonderful things in your name? The foolish builder is like that one who says, Lord, Lord, and expects to enjoy all of the blessings and benefits of salvation. The wise builder is the one who says, Lord, Lord, and then makes Jesus boss of his life. And people, this is the key difference. This is what I mean when I talk about discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. It is not enough for us to come to Him having confessed our sins and had some kind of conversion experience, maybe uh, prayed the sinner's prayer or gone down the Roman's road or whatever. And I'm not criticizing any of those things. Any of those things can help a person to, to really get saved. It's really not that difficult to get saved. Did you know that? It's not hard at all to get saved. But the crucial thing is, is the intention of the heart of the person that comes to God. And some come simply wanting nothing more than the blessings and the benefits that are, that are offered through Jesus Christ. But the wise builder is the one who comes and says, Lord, Lord, and then makes Jesus boss. And some may want to ask the question, well, what if Jesus is wrong? What if Jesus is wrong? You know, we don't usually think of Jesus as being intelligent. You know, if I were to ask you, who do you think is the wisest, smartest person to ever live? I don't know. There might be some in this crowd who would think Jesus. But most people would think of of people like Albert Einstein and Isaac Newton and, and, you know, others like that. 
But truthfully, Jesus must have been the smartest, most intelligent, wisest man to ever live. And I believe he knew in every respect what he was talking about. Now, I will also tell you this, and this might sound, or or, or it might make you uncomfortable when you first hear it, but I believe it's true. If you or I were to find a better way, I firmly believe that Jesus would be the first one to tell us to take it. You may have to think about that for a while. But I also believe you're never going to find a better way. You will never find a better way. Look, if you will, at verses 28 and 29 of that uh, Matthew chapter 7, these last verses uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. It talks about the response of the people to Jesus' teachings. It says that when he finished, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Well, what was wrong with the way the scribes taught? The scribes taught by quoting other people. I like to quote other people because, for one thing, I want you to know that the things that I'm saying, that it's a good idea, not just because I say so, but it's a good idea because somebody else said it too. And the problem is that's the way all the scribes taught. They taught by quoting other scholars other people who had studied, other rabbis and other authorities. Well, they were astonished because Jesus taught as one who had authority. Authority. What is the root word of that word authority? Somebody just call it out. Author. Author. Jesus is the author. In other words, He writes and He speaks and He teaches without footnotes. Any of you ever written a a research paper? Oh, I don't like research papers. I did not like research papers. And when you do research papers and you have to learn how to do it the right way and you have to cite your sources and, you know, all of that stuff and put footnotes and everything, oh, it's just terrible. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be Jesus? Because he speaks as one who has authority. He speaks without footnotes. In other words, he's the author and he knows what he's talking about. Coming to a close, there is both a warning and a promise in this illustration that Jesus uses to close out the Sermon on the Mount. The warning is this. It is possible to believe, and and people, this is, I want to preface this by saying I I don't want to, make anybody uh, lose their confidence. I'm not intending to unchristianize anyone. I just need you to be aware. I believe this is one of the things Jesus is pointing out is a very real danger, is that it is possible to believe you are safe. In other words, you feel as if you have been forgiven of your sins. You may at times even feel at peace in your heart, and may even at times be able to demonstrate spiritual power and the blessing of God, and yet all the time be deceived 
because apparently the foolish man was. There were people that followed Jesus as his disciples who were. There were people who felt like they were right with Jesus, people who demonstrated spiritual power. And as I mentioned to you a moment ago, Jesus said that there will be those who on the last day will say to him, Lord, Lord, open to us. Did not we do many wonderful works in your name? And he will say to them, depart. I, did not, I, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. In other words, what is crucial about this, friends, what is so crucial and important about this is not the, the evidence of God's blessing. Did you know, and this, is, this disturbed me the first time I heard it, and it still does. Did you know God's blessing does not mean God's approval? You might say, Pastor, how can that be? Look at Samson. The life of Samson, over and over again, he demonstrated the Spirit of God would come upon him and he would demonstrate great power <clears throat> through the Spirit of God. Yet the whole time, he was living outside of obedience to the will of God and the way he was told, the way his parents were told his life was to be lived. It is possible to enjoy the blessing of God without the approval of God. But there's also a promise. And the promise is this, that your life in God's kingdom is indestructible. Your life in God's kingdom is indestructible. If you are alive in God's kingdom and that is what you are living for, you are not living for uh, the, the things of this world that are temporary, you are not pretending to be something that you are not, but you are authentically, truly Christ's. And you are alive in his kingdom. You are not worrying about tomorrow, but you are trusting in God. You are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. People, that is the kind of life that is simply indestructible. You see, when Jesus talked to us about eternal life, it meant more than just life that will go on forever somewhere after you die. But it meant this an indestructible life, the, a life that the way you live it, the way you invest your life, it lasts forever because it is invested in eternity. So you say, Pastor, how do I know, how do I make sure that I am not in that category of the person that ends up deceived? This is just a little sidebar I have been deceived before, and I have lived for a period of time in a condition of deception, thinking that I was right with God, but having had sin buried and hidden in my life. And it's difficult and painful to get out of. It's difficult and painful to get out of. But people, let me tell you, no matter how difficult or how painful it might be, it is worth getting a clear picture of who and what you are so that you can know the worst of your case now rather than waiting until you're standing before God on judgment day 
to know the worst of your case. How do you know? Well, friends, simply this. Do an honest evaluation of yourself. What is your intention and your interest in terms of following Jesus? What is your interest and intention in terms of following Jesus? Are you pursuing the blessings and the benefits? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Whatever it takes. And that is the kind of decision that makes Jesus boss. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord. To say, Lord, here I am, everything I am, myself, my life, my future, my time, my aspirations, my spare time, my family, my relationships, whether people think good of me, whether they, they think bad of me, no, no matter what. Lord, it's, it's all, here it is, it's all yours, it's at your disposal. That's what the wise man does. He builds his house on the rock, and the house on the rock will stand firm. Amen. Let's stand together, please.